The year is 1949. Tensions between the West and the East intensify as the civil war in China ends with the communists taking control of the country. The Soviet Union tests its first atomic bomb and the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, or NATO, is established to protect the Western European nations from being overrun by the Soviet Union. Here in the U.S., the economy dips into a brief post-war recession, with the unemployment rate climbing to 8%. But Americans, determined to realize the post-war dreams they'd been promised, still buy 10 million TV sets and 6 million new cars. And that year, the Pulitzer Prize for Drama went to what may be the best-known play in the American theatrical canon, Arthur Miller's Death of a Salesman. My name is Jan Simpson. Welcome to All the Drama, a podcast about the plays and musicals that have won American theater's highest accolade, the Pulitzer Prize for Drama. Death of a Salesman was the gateway drug into my still ongoing obsession with theater. In my junior year of high school, we were assigned to choose an American author and read as many of his or her works as we could, and then to write a report on what we'd learned. I knew people thought Death of a Salesman was an important play, but I'm going to be honest with you. I chose Arthur Miller because I had thought reading a bunch of plays would be easier than reading a bunch of much longer novels. But Miller's tragic story of Willie Loman, a 63-year-old traveling salesman, and his despair over his failure to achieve the American dream touched something deep in the 16-year-old me. It gave me the kind of visceral connection that I've searched for every time I've read or seen a play since then. I'm obviously not the only one who had such intense feelings about Death of a Salesman. There are stories of how middle-aged men who attended the original production sat in their seats and cried long after the curtain came down at the Morosco Theater, where the play opened in February of 1949. The show ran there for 742 performances. It won the New York Drama Critics Circle Award and the Tony Award for Best Play. Tony's also went to Miller, to the actor Arthur Kennedy for his supporting role as Willie's disillusioned son Biff, to the show's director, Ilya Kazan, and to Joe Milsener, whose three-level set was framed by a skeleton-like outline of the Loman's modest house that was so instrumental to the production that the director, Mike Nichols, had it replicated for his 2012 revival, which starred Philip Seymour Hoffman as Willie and Andrew Garfield as Biff. And, of course, the original production won the Pulitzer. But the three-man jury wasn't unanimous. One favorite, Summer and Smoke, by Tennessee Williams. But Williams had won the year before for a streetcar named Desire, and the other two judges lobbied hard for Miller. The Pulitzer Award would add to its already great prestige by crowning so distinguished a work by a young American playwright, they wrote in their recommendation report. The board, which has the final say on all Pulitzer Awards, agreed with them and gave the award 
to the then 33-year-old Miller. Miller was born on October 17, 1915 in Harlem. He was the second of the three children born to Augusta and Isidore Miller, who owned a successful clothing business that employed some 400 people. Young Arthur spent the first 14 years of his life in a large apartment that overlooked Central Park. The family also had a summer house in the far Rockaway section of Queens and a staff of servants, including a chauffeur. But like so many others, Isidore Miller invested heavily in the stock market during the booming 1920s, and he lost everything in the crash of 1929. The family had to move to a small apartment in Brooklyn. Arthur helped make ends meet by delivering bread in the mornings before he went to school. He graduated from high school in 1932 and worked at odd jobs, including as a warehouse clerk, so that he could earn enough money to attend the University of Michigan, where the tuition cost $49 a semester, plus an additional $80 to rent a room, and $10 a week for two meals a day. He had planned to study journalism and worked on the school newspaper. But in his second year, he learned about a playwriting contest that had a top prize of $250. So Miller decided to write a play. It turned out to be about a family, much like his own, and a strike in the garment factory they owned that threatened to tear them apart. When the play, called No Villain, won the prize, he switched his major to English with a focus on dramatic literature and playwriting. Henrik Ibsen was his favorite playwright, but Miller was also intrigued by the expressionistic techniques in plays by Eugene O'Neill and Elmer Rice. After graduating in 1938, he got a job with the Federal Theater Project, writing radio scripts. When Congress shut down the project, he worked as a laborer at the Brooklyn Navy Yard and sold radio scripts on the side. He also kept working on his own plays. Miller wrote about a half dozen of them before he got what he thought would be his big break when his play, The Man Who Had All the Luck, opened on Broadway on November 23, 1944. But it closed just three days later. A 2002 revival of that play lasted only 62 performances. But Miller had better luck in 1947 when he made it back to Broadway with All My Sons a play inspired by the real-life story of an Ohio manufacturer who had knowingly sold defective parts to the military during World War II. All My Sons, which marked the first of his collaborations with the director Ilya Kazan, won Tonys for both of them. Miller used the money he made from the play to buy a house in Roxbury, Connecticut, for his wife Mary and their two young children. With his own hands, he built a small studio on the property where he could work uninterrupted. As he recalled it, he wrote Death of a Salesman there in a little under eight weeks. This time, Miller pushed himself beyond the Ibsen-like realism of All My Sons, and the scenes in Death of a Salesman weave back and forth between Willie's memories from the past and his encounters with his family and neighbors in the present. Miller originally titled it Inside His Head. Miller wrote the play as a critique of what he considered to be the American obsession with success. 
It quietly but ruthlessly contrasts the illusions Willie has created about his achievements as a salesman and the popularity and career potential for his two sons with the reality of his being fired from his job and unable to give his wife Linda enough money to pay their bills while he watches as his grown sons stumble in their attempts to make something of their lives. Lee J. Cobb, an actor who had worked with Kazan in the group theater, originated the role of Willie, and his poignant performance remained the gold standard. But playing Willie has become kind of catnip for actors. Frederick March starred in the 1951 Oscar-nominated film, and the play has been revived on Broadway four times, with George C. Scott in 1975, Dustin Hoffman in 1984, Brian Dennehy in 1999, which so far is my favorite, and Philip Seymour Hoffman in 2012. And now, a new revival is scheduled to open at the Hudson Theatre in October with Wendell Pierce, reprising the acclaimed performance he gave on London's West End in 2020. Arthur Miller would go on to write some two dozen more plays after Death of a Salesman, including the anti-McCarthyism plays The Crucible and A View from the Bridge, but they would all be overshadowed by Death of a Salesman. And he would become almost as famous for his personal life as for his writing. In 1952, he and Kazan had a public falling out when Kazan gave the names of people who had been members of the Communist Party to the House Un-American Activities Committee, or HUAC. Four years later, the committee held Miller in contempt for refusing to name names. The conviction was eventually overturned, but some people would hold his political views against Miller for the rest of his life. In 1956, Miller divorced his wife of 16 years and married the actress Marilyn Monroe. That marriage lasted just five years, and his thinly fictionalized account of it in the 1964 play, After the Fall, also turned off many critics and theatergoers, still shaken by the actress's death two years earlier from a drug overdose at the age of just 36. Miller had better success with The Price, which ran on Broadway for 429 performances in 1968, but with a couple of exceptions, Broadway only revived his earlier works after that. His new plays had to find homes at regional theaters, off-Broadway venues, and in London. In 1965, Miller accepted the presidency of International Pen, the literary organization that advocates for the rights of writers around the world, a cause that would remain dear to him for the next 40 years. He also found personal happiness in his 1962 marriage to the photographer Inger Morath, which lasted until her death in 2002. They had two children. Rebecca, now 59, is a filmmaker who is married to the actor Daniel Day-Lewis. In 2018, she released Arthur Miller, Writer, a documentary about her father that is available on HBO Max. Her four years younger brother, Daniel, was born with Down syndrome, and after their father insisted that he be institutionalized, he rarely spoke about him. 
Arthur Miller's final work, Finishing the Picture, another semi-fictionalized story about Marilyn Monroe, this one centered around the troubled filming of The Misfits, the 1960 movie that he wrote for her, premiered at Chicago's Goodman Theater in late 2004. He died on February 10, 2005, at the age of 89. It was a full and complicated life, and so I was grateful to be able to talk about Miller and his masterwork with Stephen Marino, the editor of the Arthur Miller Journal and a past president of the Arthur Miller Society. Hello, Stephen Marino. Welcome to Broadway Radio's All the Drama. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Before we start talking about Death of a Salesman and Arthur Miller, I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about what the Arthur Miller Society is. Okay, well, we've been around, I guess, since 1995, which was when we started the Miller Society by Stephen Santoller of Millersville University. And we're a literary society whose primary aim uh, is to promote the study of uh, Arthur Miller and his work, promotions of the productions of his plays, and in generally fostering interest in Miller's work. So we sponsor uh, academic conferences. We have a very active website. You can find us on the web at authormillersociety.net. We also have, you can find us on Facebook. Uh, We have a Google group, and we also have started an Arthur Miller Society podcast, and we interview uh, directors and scholars about all kinds of interesting topics having to do with Miller. Another part of the society is the Arthur Miller Journal, an academic journal which we first started publishing in 2006, and that journal provides what we hope is a lasting legacy to Miller's great contributions to American drama. I'm the founding editor of the journal. I've been editing it for the last 17 years, and we publish uh, academic articles, notes, performance reviews. Performance reviews are a big part of our journal because Miller is constantly being performed all uh, over the world and very much uh, like to promote outreach. Uh, This is especially true on on the Society website to colleges, universities, and students. Wow. When did you first encounter Death of a Salesman? Do you remember Yes, but I actually do remember. <laughs> I was fortunate enough to go to a high school in Brooklyn. I'm a native New Yorker. And in the high school I went to, we actually did both The Crucible and Death of a Salesman. And, of course, got turned on to Miller as a high school student. And then in college, I was an English major, and I encountered Miller and Death of a Salesman again. As And then, of course, when I started my teaching career, <laughs> I, uh, I taught both the crucible and salesman in high school and then in my college career as well so i've sort of spilled over kept going with with miller and then i when i was doing my doctoral work uh i did my doctoral dissertation on the language of all the miller's plays so he and i have an interesting relationship all these years absolutely do you know how many productions of death of a salesman you've seen can you count well i actually probably can't count how many I've seen because uh, I've seen all the recent Broadway revivals since 83, but 
I travel frequently to community theaters, college theaters, to go see Death of a Salesman. If I, if I can drive to go see Death of a Salesman somewhere from my home here in New York, I will go see Death of a Salesman <laughs> because the play speaks differently to you every time you see the play. That's what's so fascinating about this, this American masterpiece. I agree with you. Each time you encounter it, you encounter it in a different way. But I'm wondering, do you have, having seen it, read it, taught it, do you have any thoughts about why the Pulitzer Board awarded the prize to Death of a Salesman in 1949? It was an unusual play at the time. It was a very unusual play, yes, and certainly in style and structure because of, uh, you know, Miller had a reputation, still does in many ways, of being a social realist, and some people see the play as realistic, and it's not that at all. I mean, that play is about as experimental as it got in 1949 with that expressionistic technique with us going into Willie's mind in the imaginings and the, the play questions, what, what is the present and what is the past for Willie as, you know, Miller wanted to create that, what he called that mobile concurrency of past and present. The staging was very, very unusual for its time, the music, the lighting, all of it. And I think that's the reason why the Pulitzer Board awarded it to the play that year because I guess their litmus test was that the winning play must achieve a quote-unquote standard of excellence. And that play in that year checked all the boxes, and that's just in writing, never mind those great performances (laughs) that were in that, that play as well. So yes, I think that's why it won the Pulitzer that year. Why do you think it has lasted in the way that it has. I mean, if you say, tell me an iconic American play, I think nine out of ten people are going to mention Death of a Salesman. Yeah, exactly. Why has it... Well, I think there are maybe two or three really important reasons. I think the universal appeal. I say not only just to American audiences, but to international audiences, because the play resonates as well to international audiences. I mean, Miller directed a production of it in the 80s in Beijing, and, you know, the Chinese people embraced it. I think it lies in its focus on the American dream as the central theme. And that's the thing we all tap into into. What is the meaning of the American dream? Willie Loman and the family want to achieve the American dream, and the question in the play is, has he? he? What do we mean? The play challenges what we mean by the American dream. Things that we're dealing with today in the United States, what do we mean by the American dream, and who can achieve it? Is it possible for us to achieve it? You know, the American dream promises us economic security, personal satisfaction, self-worth. But are those things possible? Clearly, Willie is troubled in the play. He's contemplating suicide. And when Linda says, 
that Willie is a human being and a terrible thing is happening to him. There we see it on a personal level. We perhaps realize that the same thing can happen to us in our struggle to achieve the American dreams. And that's what's fascinating about this new production when for the first time on Broadway, the Lomans are going to be African-American. And what does that say on a different level about, about the play? That's what's wonderful about the play, that it's so flexible to be produced in so many different ways. Hmm. And you talk about it as so emblematic of the American dream. And yet, as you also noted, it, it's been produced all over the world. All over the world, yeah. So is it speaking to them about the American dream or about their dreams? Yes, exactly. I think it, it, it works on both those levels in, in many ways. And this, On one level, it's a social play, no doubt about it, with social themes and those larger universal themes. But it's also a family drama as well, too, a family play. And it, it bounces in and out of those things because, we, in a sense, there's two plots. There's Willie, 63 years old, confronting whether his life as a salesman has been worth it. And on the other side of the coin, he has this unresolved personal conflict with his son. Its appeal is to both of those areas in, in our own lives. And I, I think that crosses, that crosses all borders. That's why it's been such an international success as well. Miller produced this play when he was 33 years old. Yeah. He, he wrote many, many other plays after Death of a Salesman, some famous, The Crucible, A View from the Bridge, the, After the Fall, others not as, as well-known, and yet always first is Death of a Salesman. Do you yes. know how he felt about it? Was it a favorite child or was it an albatross around his neck? No, I, I think he had a, a special place for Death of a Salesman uh, in his heart. I think there's no, doubt, there's no doubt about it, especially that it was instigated in many ways by personal experience. You know, his, his uncle Manny Newman was a partial inspiration for it. Uh, Miller explored relationships between fathers and sons, and those, those were important themes and topics in, in his own work. And, and Salesman is his, great, is, his, is his masterpiece. His masterpiece. We can have the argument about the other plays, as you said, <laughs> All My Sons, The Crucible, A View from the Bridge. But Salesman is his masterpiece, and that's why I think it retained a special place uh, in his heart. Why do you think Broadway moved away from uh, Mailer beginning in, I guess, the mid to late 60s? Broadway has continued to uh, revive the earlier plays, but yeah. his later plays had to find homes elsewhere. Yeah, you're right. It was a surprise to me that if you think of like the Mount Rushmore of American playwrights, and I'm going to put up there now, people will at me, but Eugene O'Neill, Tennessee Williams, Edward Albee, August Wilson, and Miller. Yeah, that's, that's Mount Rushmore, absolutely. <laughs> and if you look at those playwrights, Miller is the only one who was never nominated again 
for a Pulitzer yes. Prize. So what happened? Well, I see this in two ways. I'm going to mm-hmm. say that on one level, Miller was the victim of circumstances regarding the Pulitzer board, because I'll even go before death of a salesman. Uh, you could argue that all my sons in 47 should have been nominated for a Pulitzer, right? But the board didn't give an award in 1947, which is interesting in itself. There are times when the Pulitzer Committee did not give awards for drama. I don't know, seven or eight times they didn't give it. And in, in a number of those years, Miller had major plays that arguably should have been considered at least nominated. So All My Sons, 1947, no, no winner that year. Salesman, he wins it. Now, The Crucible in 53, and this is part, I think, what you're saying about the critical neglect or a reaction against Miller. The Crucible in 53 was too hot of a play hmm. to, be, to be nominated. And by that time, I would say many critics were already turning against Miller. And that clearly had to do with politics. No doubt about it. Big, huge controversy over Miller's alleged leftist, liberal, communist leanings. UAC was running wild in the 50s. We, we know that. And some critics had some really harsh things to say uh, about Miller. And those things continued, as you indicated, for quite, quite many years. So, there's, there, so there are two things going on. The, the victim of circumstances when awards weren't given, and then the victim of bias uh, against Miller. Uh, so, yeah, you mentioned uh, other plays. So in 55, he wrote A View from the Bridge, but that was a one-act play. Mm-hmm. How that would have gotten considered, I'm not really clear. So in 64, he wrote After the Fall. That was, a, we know, another very controversial play. Mm-hmm. In both structure, he went back to the expressionistic technique, but it became the so-called Marilyn Monroe play, and that confused everything with that play. So he would not have been nominated that year, likely, and there was no award that year in 64. And then here's the one that really is puzzling to me. 1968, Miller had his, sec- his second big hit on Broadway, The Price. That's the second, that's the second to Death of a Salesman in longest-running performance. Arguably should have been nominated, but the board didn't give an award that year in 68. Hmm. So, oh, isn't that isn't that fascinating? He has those major plays in those years, and there's no award given. Miller then sort of had what people consider a fallow period in the 70s and the 80s. But he was back on Broadway in the 90s, and one could argue, Broken Glass uh, it got nominated for a Tony Award, but Miller was not nominated. In that year, of course, that year we had three tall women, all be deserved the Pulitzer for that. And then Ride Mount Morgan is his other major play uh, of the 90s. But when would that have been considered? Because it it uh, premiered up in Williamstown in 96. The Broadway production was 2000. So you see how circumstances also played in to the bias against Miller. And Miller was aware of, of the critical bias 
against him. He, he, that he said he never really had any critics in his corner except for Brooks Atkinson and Harold Klerman, and that it was actors, directors, and audiences in the United States, but especially abroad, where he's revered, as we know, that kept his work alive. So it's, it's, I'm glad you brought that up, because it's fascinating. Well, whatever happened in the 60s and beyond, he is always going to be known for Death of a Salesman. And it's going to be standing, I think, tall among uh, the great American plays for a while to come. Yes, I think so. In, in, you know, in 1999, during the 50th uh, anniversary production, uh, the critic Fintan O'Toole said in his review of the plays, this play was great in 1949, and it's great now, and it'll be great in 2049. And it's right, it's the play that's going to last. Well, thank you for uh, agreeing to talk with us about it. We really, really appreciate it. This has been so informative. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening. I hope you'll come back next time and that you'll listen to all the other Broadway radio podcasts. And, if you aren't already doing so, that you'll consider making a contribution to support our work, which you can do at patreon.com slash broadwayradio.